With their sponsorship of episode 207 of the Read to Lead podcast, FreshBooks cloud accounting software is making it easy for you to try them out with absolutely no obligation. Get access to 100% of FreshBooks features for 30 days when you visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Take that step back and and try to see your business as your customer sees it and try to look at the whole landscape. Who are your competitors and why is your customer choosing you over your competitors? Welcome and thanks for being here. This is the Read to Lead podcast. My name is Jeff Brown and I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. I feel that strongly about it. I indeed do. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this important reading list, but bring you key ideas and valuable insights from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors, like today's guest, for example, in just a few minutes. You and I are going to be joined by Colleen DeBase. She is the author of Start a Successful Business, expert advice to take your startup from idea to empire. Whether it's something you only occasionally think about or you're like me and you think about it quite often, I think Colleen's knowledge and advice will go a long way in steering you in the right direction. I plan to ask Colleen where to look to find your brilliant idea, how to get your product or service noticed, uh, the traits Colleen believes an effective leader must possess, and much, much more. You know, I don't know if there's ever been a year in my adult life when I didn't dread tax time, though I can't honestly say I don't dread it half as much as I used to. That's because the accounting process for me has gotten so much simpler. As a a solo business owner, a solopreneur, keeping track of income and expenses is not my forte, and it's why I depend on FreshBooks cloud accounting software. FreshBooks has been around since last decade when a lot of folks were still using software, you know, that had to actually physically be on your hard drive before this whole cloud thing took off. (laughs) I've been using FreshBooks since 2009 and wouldn't recommend or use anything else. I love it because it's easy to use. It's easy to create reports that would take hours to do manually. I love that I can connect my business debit card to my FreshBooks account so expenses are tracked automatically. I don't even have to think about it. For you, they're offering a free 30-day unrestricted trial. You get access to all their features. No obligation to continue. Try it free for 30 days. And they don't even ask for a credit card. You just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Colleen DeBase is contributing editor at Inc., podcast host at the Story Exchange, founder of the Hampton Bee, and author of the Wall Street Journal Complete Small Business Guidebook. She's written for the New York Times, Entrepreneur, Business Week, Smart Money, and other national publications. And fortunately for us, she's got a brand new book out. It's called Start a Successful Business, Expert Advice to Take Your Startup from Idea to Empire. I am excited to have her here. Colleen, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Hello. Great to be here. Well, uh, the first part of this process uh, in starting a business, of course, begins with just the right, brilliant business idea. Uh, So where do you suggest, Colleen, people start? What can we do, in other words, to get the creative juices flowing? Uh, That's a great question. Yeah. How how do we come up with brilliance? Um, Yeah, I wish I had actually all the answers for that. But in terms of coming up with a brilliant 
brilliant business idea. You know, one of the things I did when I sat down to write this book is I, I had access to all of the uh, different articles and, and videos and, and, and all sorts of things that Inc. Magazine has published over the last 30, 40 years, mm. including tons of interviews with super successful entrepreneurs. And I looked at so many of those because I wanted to see if there were some common denominators um, that, uh, you know, some takeaways that I could kind of cobble together and present to aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Sort of, you know, here's what the super successful entrepreneurs do. You know, hopefully you can learn some lessons from this and do the same. And one of the things I wanted to look at is where do people who have these fantastic ideas, where do they get them from? And the thing that I found that kind of was the, the, the common thread throughout all these stories was that a lot of entrepreneurs start a business because they have some personal pain point or frustration that they themselves are looking to solve. Um, they're very personally invested in whatever product or service they are creating because it will somehow make life easier for them or it will somehow um, make them happier in some ways because they really themselves personally want this product or service on the market. And I think that's an important piece of all of this because one, if you have some sort of personal pain point or frustration that you're trying to solve, probably other people have that same uh, pain point, and those people are called your future customers. <laughs> so there's that. And then, you know, the other element of this is that starting a business is, is not the easiest thing. There's a lot of obstacles. There's going to be a lot of uh, roadblocks along the way. There's going to be a lot of naysayers. There's going to be a lot of people saying you're crazy to do this. So it's, I think it's very important to be really personally invested, you know, and, and that you yourself want to see this product or service on the market because you yourself want it. I think that uh, when we look at the super successful entrepreneurs out there, I think that's part of the reason that they became so successful is that they were just so personally invested. So that is, uh, that's probably, I would say the, the number one uh, best place to look for your brilliant business idea is that thing that's causing you uh, some consternation in your own life. And, and when you're personally invested to, to that extent, that really helps you to remain determined when the going gets tough, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it really is not the easiest thing, like I was saying, to start your own business. You know, for people who have maybe always worked for someone else who are not used to doing their own thing, it, it's it's really an adjustment. Well, uh, I know an early hurdle for a lot of entrepreneurs can be uh, the infamous uh, business plan. Can you talk about some of the do's and don'ts uh, of business plans, maybe both yeah. uh, formal and informal? Totally. <laughs> infamous. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I will uh, even take a step back for a second to say that the way we start a business today is quite different than the way people started businesses, you know, 20, even 10 years ago. In times past, what the traditional way of starting a business was, was that you did all this sort of kind of painstaking research and, and, and you did all this analysis and you looked at the market. This was sort of what was considered the, the best approach to starting a business would be to do all this analysis and to really figure out what your competitive advantage would be, to do a lot of prototyping, to get all your money and resources together. And then after doing all that, sitting down, writing a very formal business plan, maybe, you know, something that's 40, 50 pages long, 
And then finally, boom, going out to the marketplace, opening your doors and trying to sell your product. That was sort of the traditional approach to starting a business. Um, In more recent years, we've seen a phenomenon called the lean startup method. Mm -hmm. And this was popularized by a man named Eric Reese, who wrote a uh, very famous book on this about five or six years ago called The Lean Startup. And the thinking there is that in this sort of speeded up world that we live in these days, uh, thanks largely to technology, there needs to be sort of a faster approach to all of this and maybe a more efficient and better approach. And what the lean startup approach entails is once you have that brilliant business idea, the idea is that you come up with basically a minimum viable product, sort of a bare bones version of that product or service that you want to see on the marketplace. Mm. And then you just go ahead and launch it. You put it into the marketplace. You go live with it, essentially. And by doing that, you immediately get a sense of whether or not it actually would work, whether or not people will actually pay money for this. And, you know, the the thinking is that by doing it this way, you get a sense of what the market wants and you don't waste time, money and energy on something that is not going to work in the first place. Mm. And you get sort of feedback in live time so that you can tweak and iterate this product so that you will be putting out something that that people will want. And also, if people don't want it, then, you know, you you don't lose that precious time and funding and uh, energy. Anything that serves as an argument for not having to write a business plan, I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, there are people that will uh, will definitely say there, there are some kind of well-known examples. Mm. Uh, Rent the Runway, which is an online dress rental site. The founders, who are two women who were uh, friends at Harvard Business School, they say they never wrote a business plan. And that's been a hugely successful startup that's done quite well. Mm. But I think for most people, what actually I recommend in my book is to kind of do the best of both worlds, Mm -hmm. which is to when you have your great business idea, I think this lean startup approach is a really smart and efficient way to go about testing out your business idea. And it's a great way to start a business. But I think once you get more involved in the business, once you get going, once you start gaining some traction, once you start getting a track record, then it's, I think it's still critically important to sit down and write a business plan, which nobody wants to do for whatever <laughs> reason. It, it, you know, it feels like when you're a kid having to do like homework over summer or something like that, you know, like nobody wants to do it. But people do say that to achieve success, you need to have those milestones. Mm. And a lot of people put those milestones down in a business plan because that, that's really one of the purposes of a business plan is to provide that roadmap for how you're going to get from point A to point B and how you're going to, you know, achieve that success. And, and, and by putting down those goals, you're more likely to achieve them because you have them written down. And the other thing with a business plan is that it's, it's a great document to have as you start to grow your business, because you want to be able to communicate your vision and you want to be able to communicate your goals and mission to other people, to employees, to customers, to 
backers that you might have, especially any lenders or investors. And just sort of anecdotally, what we tend to see at Inc. is that people will finally write a business plan when they want to get financing. That's usually sort of the trigger point because while the lean startup method is great, a traditional bank still wants to see a business plan. Uh, So if you want to get a loan, you're going to need to have one. And some investors too will require one Mm. if you are looking for equity financing. Well, that leads right into my next question in regard to to funding, and that's obviously another big hurdle for many many startups. There are probably a dozen ways you go about it. What do you find the majority of startups do to secure funding? Is there one particular method that that sort of is head and shoulders above the rest? (laughs) Yes, and uh, people are not going to like this. Um, (laughs) It's one that hasn't changed actually over the years. The number one source of funding for small businesses is the entrepreneur's own pocket. Mm. So it is your own savings, your own assets, whatever that might be. And that's largely because certainly banks don't want to take a chance on a unproven startup. Really, not many people do. Um, <laughs> if you don't have the funds to start a business, I actually don't recommend starting um, I, until you have some. I also don't recommend quitting your day job until <laughs> you have something that you are pretty confident is going to work. But if you don't have those funds, there there are a couple of other options. One is, of course, friends and family. I once heard the, the phrase love money uh, <laughs> is, is what it's called when uh, friends and family uh, give you money to start your business because only people who love you are going to <laughs> to actually provide those funds. Mm. Uh, no one no one else will at those really, really early stages. But in, in more recent years that we have seen crowdfunding and, and that's when people will do a campaign on something like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And I think that's it's a great idea. It's a great way to raise basically small amounts of money from a big group of people. It's also a great marketing exercise. It's a great way to get some exposure for whatever product or service you hope to bring to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to start to know customers and what customers will want. So I definitely recommend a campaign like that. But but primarily the, the number one place that people get money is, is from their own bank account. In recent years, you know, we've seen these shows like Shark Tank and mm-hmm. things like that. And, uh, you know, there are all these startups out of Silicon Valley that <laughs> that are able to get millions of dollars of venture capital. You know, we read those stories and sort of think that's how the world works. It, it really that's that's not reflective of the small business entrepreneurship world. There, there's something like 30 million small businesses in the United States. Only a handful of those businesses would ever be getting huge amounts of funding um, in the early stages. So the majority of businesses start in a much more modest way. I work with a lot of, uh, a lot of solopreneurs creating uh, you know, knowledge products and services. And a lot of times the thinking is, if I build it, they'll come. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> through, through your study and, and research, uh, Colleen, what have you found to be some of the more effective ways to successfully get your product or service truly noticed? You know, a, a sort of an obvious here uh, that I'm going to say is social media, which I actually do think, and, you know, social media is something I think we all sort of have a love-hate relationship, <laughs> you know, with social media, but it is a really great tool for a startup or a growing small business to use. 
it really has leveled the playing field in in years past before social media really the only way to get attention for your business was something like buying a commercial or doing some sort of print advertising campaign which was quite expensive and you know just a lot of businesses couldn't afford that the great thing about social media is that it's incredibly inexpensive. It, it can be free or it can be you know, far less expensive than, than traditional advertising. The flip side of that is that social media is, is a bit overwhelming and it changes by the minute and it seems like Every time you turn around, there's a new social network popping up or there's, you know, every time you turn around, the social network that you were using suddenly has changed and then now you can't figure out how to use it. So it, it is it is a bit overwhelming. What I recommend to people is to still try to take advantage of it because it really is a great tool and a inexpensive tool. But just focus on one social network when you're getting started just to uh, at least make it a little less overwhelming and pick a social network that makes the most sense for your business. I don't think any business really needs to be on every social network out there. If you open a restaurant and you serve beautiful food, then a social network like Instagram is a great one because it's a very visual network where you can you know, post all these beautiful photos and, and, and people tend to use something like Instagram because they want to see that. If you're in more of the the professional services category, if you are starting a business because you have an expertise and you want to say become a consultant or something like that, something like LinkedIn is, is a better network to use because it's it's just much more professionally minded. It's not as visual. You know, I just uh, saw an article from Edison Research earlier this week that was talking about social networks and social engagement being mm-hmm. sort of seeing a downward trend for, for, mm. for platforms like Facebook and, yeah, and Twitter. Yeah. But then the image-focused ones are up, like, mm-hmm. like Instagram, Snapchat, yep, yep. Pinterest, et cetera. Totally. And yeah. you'll probably read something else next week that says it's <laughs> <Right>. down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there, there's a great uh, quote uh, in the book from, from Steve Jobs, one of my favorite Steve Jobs quotes okay. that uh, Colleen has in the book. And the quote goes like this, you can't just ask customers what you want and then give it to them. By the time you get it built, they'll want something new. So uh, if that's true, Colleen, how can we manage to discover our customers' wants and needs and then deliver them while they're still relevant? It's tricky. And, uh, you know, he was really an exceptional entrepreneur in his abilities to figure out what people wanted uh, long before they knew what they wanted. (laughs) It's fun. When I sat down to write the book, I, I was looking at all these profiles we've done over the years at Inc. Magazine of, of successful entrepreneurs. And that quote is actually taken from an interview that Inc. did with Steve Jobs in 1989. Wow. And Inc. named him the entrepreneur of the decade in 1989. And, you know, which is remarkable. That was the 80s. Uh, if you're kind of a, interested in history, it's it's fun. I, I would recommend going to the Inc. site and reading the interview because it's it really is just remarkable mm. to read this Q&A with Steve Jobs. And there's not a lot of them out there, I don't think. He was pretty private. And he even, as you're reading this, and again, you know, this is in 1989, he, he's talking about creating something that sounds a lot like what will ultimately become the iPhone. And of course, that mm. was so long before the iPhone actually came to market and so long before customers could even envision anything like this. 
it's it, I, I find it quite inspirational mm. to read something like that. But it's not go- it really is not going to be the case for every business owner to, to be the next Steve Jobs. But <laughs> I think um, what you can do, though, is to really, you know, I'm not saying anything new here. It's sort of common sense. But you really do have to know and understand your customer. And there are different ways to do that. And I think it's especially important for uh, people who have maybe been in business for a few years to every once in a while stop and to remember that they need to understand their customer, especially as they're developing new products and services. One way to do that is to spend a day in your customer's shoes, you know, Mm. try to take that step back and, and try to see your business as your customer sees it and try to look at the whole landscape. Who are your competitors and why is your customer choosing you over your competitors? You know, what is it that you do that your customers like? Why is it that they want your product or service and not somebody else's? And try to sort of pinpoint these things so that you can use them and develop that and and and, and use that to influence your, your future products and services. Another tip comes from really the, the medical industry. At hospitals, I, I find this sort of fun. Apparently, when people are like interns are training to be uh, doctors, they will be tasked with pretending to be a patient so Mm. they understand what the whole process is like and what it feels like to be a patient, to to be admitted into the hospital, to check in, to meet with different nurses and doctors. So you can kind of look at that and do that in your own company, you know, really spend a day as your own customer and see what it's like to go through the experience of purchasing from your company, see what the experience is like and see if there's any improvements that can be made and, and really get a sense of what your customers are seeing. As host of a podcast called Read to Lead, it's probably no surprise that, that my favorite chapter was the chapter on, on leadership. <laughs> I'd love for you to share the traits or qualities you feel an effective leader has got to possess. Yeah, that I, I, I enjoyed writing that chapter because, um, you know, I think everyone deep down, uh, well, a lot of people, I should say, when they think about making that leap and striking it out on their own and becoming an entrepreneur or doing their own thing and starting their own business, a lot of people don't know if they have the ability, the sort of those innate leadership abilities to, to do it. And what I have concluded is that leadership is a skill that can be learned. It, you don't need to be born with those traits. The things that I really sort of specify that business leaders need to have are abilities to be a good decision maker, abilities to be good communicators, the ability to, to be very good at public speaking, um, the ability to be self-aware and charismatic and emotionally intelligent. These are all things, especially once you identify them all, these are all things, if you don't have those skills to begin with, you can get better at them. Mm. So there's all sorts of uh, tips and advice out there in magazines like Inc. and any other, you know, so many publications offer pieces of advice on how to do this. There's classes you can take. There are consultants you can use if you don't have those skills. These are all things you can work on. So just because you don't have those skills doesn't mean you can't acquire them. But I I do recommend doing your best to get better at those areas in particular, especially decision making. I listed that really as the top trait of business leaders because, you know, once you branch out on your own, no one else is going to be making decisions for you. So you, you have to become good at decision making, especially 
especially in the early days. Well, I don't often mention it, but uh, one place or, or places where I spend a lot of time, in addition to just books, is my magazine subscriptions. Magazines like Inc. and, oh, cool. and Entrepreneur and Success awesome. is another favorite. So, oh yeah, yeah, awesome. Subscribe for years. Cool. <laughs> Happy to hear that. So, uh, for those who might desire Colleen to uh, crack the global marketplace, uh, what advice would you give us to some common growth strategies to to take your business in that direction? I know that's a that's a really broad question, but if you can <laughs> yeah, break that yeah. down. Yeah, well, I even joke in my last chapter that, you know, the, the last chapter is about world domination. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I don't think every company necessarily needs to uh, to get into the business of world domination. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the world is getting smaller and it could be appropriate for some businesses to seek out customers in places outside the United States. The, the U.S. government actually has long encouraged it. I'm not sure where we are now with that. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. It's, uh, you know, it is a way to just seek a larger customer base, uh, plain and simple. It's not the easiest thing to do. And I include a few stories in that final chapter of businesses who have done it. What most of them say is that it requires a lot of research. It requires a lot of understanding of, of whatever market or culture you're trying to tap into. It requires generally having someone on the ground in that country who can be the person who facilitates things for you, who can speak the local language, who can understand uh, the local cultural cultures and what people are desiring on a very basic level. If you want to sell in another country, um, you might start with making sure you have a website that <laughs> is in that country's language. And um, and then you also need to be aware of any taxes or, or special rules or regulations about shipping to that country, things of that nature. That's sort of at the very basic level. But, you know, you kind of start there and continue to grow from there. But really, it does require an understanding and sort of boots on the ground in whatever country that it is that, that you want to tap. But it can be a very effective way for companies to grow, especially ones that maybe offer highly specialized services or highly specialized products, a surprising number of small businesses will sell in countries around the world. So it's not a not a crazy thought, even if you, <laughs> you know, I, I think when you're in the startup phase, you might not be thinking of world domination yet, but it's, it's, it's not a crazy thought. Well, I, I like that the book is a very thorough and, and step-by-step uh, look at the process of, of starting a business. And I've, I've tried to, to ask uh, at least one question from each chapter. I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, Colleen, not directly related to the book. But before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know about? You know, I, I've done a few interviews related to this book, mm. and a couple questions I've gotten are about sort of what are my favorite stories, my, mm. you know, favorite inspirational business startup stories. And one that I like to mention is Warby Parker, which is the mm. online eyeglass company. And um, the, the founders are these great guys that I've interviewed a number of times. But what I like about their story is that they really disrupted the status quo and I think that's that's really inspirational to me. Uh, it used to be when you would get eyeglasses, sort of the only way you could do it was go to like a brick and mortar store and spend a lot of money on lenses and frames. You know, before you knew it, you were spending $800, you know, just to get buy a pair of eyeglasses. And sort of, I think everyone, consumers were all sort of like, yeah, this is what, you know, this is just how it's done. This is how <laughs> we have to do it. And, you know, the guys who started Warby Parker said, no, you know, th- there is a better way to do this. And, you know, 
what they felt was that there were a few really big players that were controlling the market and artificially setting prices high. And that is the case. It doesn't actually cost that much to manufacture a pair of eyeglasses. They, they knew this. They had a little experience with eyeglasses. And they also thought, you know, there's so many people shifting to online. We think we can sell this online as well. And uh, they were able to, to do both things. They were able to lower the price. They were able to get consumers to purchase online, which, of course, either, even further lowered the cost. And then they also have a social mission where if you buy a pair of eyeglasses, uh, a pair of eyeglasses is donated to someone in need. So they check the box on a lot of great things about a company. And I, I, I really think that they're an inspirational story. And I just I love that they disrupted the status quo. And I, I think people should not be afraid to do that. I love that kind of uh, disruption. 95 bucks yeah. and you and one other person has a pair of glasses. It, it, yep. it's, it's a wonder somebody didn't think of it sooner. But uh, Exactly. Well, I want you to think about, uh, Colleen, and this is, a, this is a, maybe a tough question, the books you've read over the years and think about a title or two that, that stands out in your mind as having had a big impact on you. Would you be willing to share those books? I would love to because especially as a kid, I really grew up reading and I have kids now myself and I do so much reading to them because I think it's so critically important. Uh, it fostered such an early love of, of learning for me and I think it made me the person I am and I'm a writer, so mm. um, <laughs> I guess it's no surprise. <laughs> but um, I'll give you two examples. One is when I was growing up, the, the books that spoke to me so much were the Laura Ingalls Wilder series, mm-hmm. which I really, I just think are such a treasure. I think they capture American history more than any standard issue history book could mm. possibly capture American history. I almost think she took like a journalistic approach really to what it was like to be a pioneer in early America. And I loved reading her books as a kid. I learned so much about what it was like to grow up in the early years of the United States through those books. And I, I just think they're a treasure. In more recent years, uh, as an adult, I, I actually don't really read a lot of business mm-hmm. books. It's funny, I'm a business journalist, but they're not really what interests me. Uh, I actually love fiction. And uh, I, I have, though, in more recent years, have started reading a lot of narrative nonfiction. And I'm fascinated by place-based literature. Um, some years ago, after many, year, many, many years of living in New York City, I made the decision to move out to the east end of Long Island, which is a beach community. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, pretty, feels pretty remote in uh, the wintertime. <laughs> and, you know, I did that because I wanted to, after years of living in the city, which I, I love New York City, but I wanted to kind of get close to nature again. And I have found that there are a number of authors who have written books on just this very topic. Mm. Um, so in recent years, I've read A Year in Provence, which was about a man who left the UK and moved to the south of France, and it's a great classic. And there's The Outermost House by Henry Beeston, which is about a man who, I think it was around 1920, he moved to Cape Cod and set up a house and lived there all by himself for a year. So the book captures his experience of doing that and what Mm. he, how he felt about it. And then more recently, I've been reading some books by this author, Gladys Tabor. I think she died about 20, 30 years ago, but she left New York City and moved to a Connecticut farmhouse and wrote many books about her experience of, of leaving the city and 
and becoming sort of someone who lives in the country. And the name of her of her farmhouse was Still Meadow. So all the books have Still Meadow in the uh, title, pretty much. Mm. Uh, but Gladys Tabor is the author of those. So I don't know if those were the books you were expecting me to say, <laughs> but that, those are the ones that I would share. Well, I, I understand this, as somebody who writes about business all the time, why <laughs> those would be like the last books you want to read in your free time. Yeah, totally, totally, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what's 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 coming up next for you? I know the book just came out about a month ago, but uh, what are you and your team working on now that, that yeah, you're excited about? Yeah, yeah. Well, at Inc., we are working on our 30 Under 30 package, which is a uh, it's a report we do every year where we look mm-hmm. at young entrepreneurs who are doing really cool stuff. And there are a lot of go-getters out there. Say what you will about millennials, but mm-hmm. a lot of them have some great ideas and great work ethics. Um, <laughs> and they are starting some really fascinating companies. So we're putting together our 30 under 30 package at Inc. And then for my my other job, really, is I am a contributing editor at the Story Exchange, which is a nonprofit media company. And we focus on female entrepreneurs. And, and I do a podcast there where we uh, spotlight female entrepreneurs. And we're doing a series called Good on the Ground, particularly in sort of in this climate that we live in where there's just such a lot of negative news right now. Mm-hmm. So um, we want to sort of provide an escape for people. And we focus on women who are running companies with social missions. So they are driven by some sort of socially conscious purpose. They're they're essentially using the power of business to tackle social issues. We looked at a woman who's creating a special wheelchair so that people can go hiking Mm. and go on the beach with these special wheelchairs. Yeah, it's really incredible. Um, She's an MIT grad. She has a science and engineering background. And so she's using that to develop this wheelchair so that people can have a more fulfilling life if they are wheelchair bound. We're looking at these female founders of a company that makes these sort of eco-friendly storage product for kids' lunch boxes. um, Mm. Because when kids bring their uh, lunches to school, there's a heck of a lot of waste. You know, a lot of them use plastic water bottles Mm. and there's a lot of baggies and plastic straws and things like that. So these these women who are moms started a company and they have marketed these sort of reusable food storage products so that kids can reuse these things that they bring for their lunch and so that there's not all this trash going into landfills and into our oceans. So, you know, we look at entrepreneurs who are creating companies that have that social mission and it's, it's really cool and it's called the Story Exchange. So there's a website and a podcast and I'd, I'd love for listeners to, to tune in if they can. Well, this is a book I definitely recommend for anyone wanting to start a business. I was just talking to my brother uh, yesterday. He's a CTO at a well-known company that was purchased oh, by a competitor cool. about a year ago. And he, he sees the writing on the wall and knows that he may not be there much longer looking to wow. start his own business. And I, cool. I was actually texting him pictures of pages yesterday. Going, you, you've <laughs> got to read this book. I don't know if that's allowed or not. but Probably fair use. So. Fair use. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 was, he was getting into it. So hopefully I'll put it in his hands here very, very soon. Oh, I'd be thrilled. Well, the book, again, is called Start a Successful Business, Expert Advice to Take Your Startup from Idea to Empire. Her name is Colleen DeBase. Colleen, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for being here. Really a pleasure. Thank you for all your great questions. 
If you'd like to check out Colleen's podcast, I've got a link to that in the show notes page created especially for this episode. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 207 for episode 207. That's also, by the way, where you'll find all the links and resources that Colleen mentioned, including those books that she recommended. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 207. If you think you'd have an interest in joining me each and every month to read a book together, be a part of our private Facebook group, and meet virtually at the end of every month to talk about the book we've been walking through, then Read to Lead University and our book club might be just the thing for you. To find out more about it, visit readtoleaduniversity.com. We'd love to have you as part of our group. Thanks once again to our sponsor, cloud accounting software, FreshBooks. Don't forget about that free 30-day trial just for you. Go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead to find out more and enter read to lead in a how did you hear about us section. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 